Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory. This is episode four of season three. I'm Charlie and tonight joined by Ash and two very special and brand new additions to the HG family. HG cousins, if you will, if you can tell that we're still slightly obsessed by season two of The Bear. So making their debuts tonight are Davina Pinduria and Sam Cornish. Welcome to everyone. Um, on tonight's episode, we're going to be keeping the good vibes from a raucous night in N17 Alive with our winners and losers both on and off the pitch. Um, we're going to be looking slightly nervously ahead at both James Madison's foot health and the trip to Bournemouth. We'll be considering what happens across the next 10 or so days of the transfer window, discuss what comes next for Spurs women now the Women's World Cup is over, and of course, collect some juicy culture picks. Um, Ash, hello mate, and Davina, fast rising queen of Spurs Twitter, and Sam, everyone's favourite Spurs photographer, welcome. Um, we're thrilled to have you with us for the first time. And Ash, we're always just thrilled to see you, my friend. Um, we'd like to get Davina and Sam to know you two a little bit better, though. So some quick fire coys questions, I reckon. Um, Davina, you can answer this one first. Um, your Spurs origin story, please. How did you wind up with this hot mess of a football club? So I really just have my dad to blame. He moved to the UK from Kenya in the 80s. And in a world full of United fans and Liverpool fans, he decided to be different and chose Tottenham, um, mainly because we live about 30 minutes away from the ground and we play in white, a bit different than every other club uh, playing in red. And then when I was born in 99, I basically had no, no choice. My first baby clothes were all Tottenham. And I grew up going to an all-girls school, so I didn't really have many friends who watched football. And then when I was old enough, I found Twitter and I found Spurs fans all over the world. And um, I was also really lucky enough that my dad was taking me to games growing up. So I always had that connection going to the stadium. So the old White Hart Lane. Then we moved to Wembley, which is, again, only about 20 minutes away from me because I've grown up in northwest London. That's when I started having my season ticket. And um, yeah, posting all the time on Twitter feels like having a second job. <laughs> And yeah, just no going back once you're there. I feel like most of us have our fathers to blame, mm -hmm. um, but we're glad that he showed you the way. Um, Sam, your answer to that question, you're obviously, I mean, how, how long have you been in the UK? And were you a Spurs fan before you got to London, sort of from Australia, or is this once you arrived? How did it work? Bit of an awkward one for me. Uh, I wish I had the the amazing generational tale uh, that Davina has. Uh, but yeah, I, I arrived in London six years ago now. Um, time flies when you're having fun, right? Um, but I grew up um, with my dad and his dad, uh, both being from England, but uh, both United fans. So I'd be watching football with him at 3 a.m. Uh, anytime. Uh, it doesn't matter how old I was. I was going to school with one hour sleep, just football obsessed. Um, and it was always a dream of mine to sort of move over here and immerse myself in the culture that I was missing out on. Because obviously when you're watching a game on TV, it's just it's just a product, right? Um, so I wanted to be going to the football every week and sort of creating friendships and partnerships and um, yeah, immersing myself in, in all the beauty that happens outside of the 90 minutes. So I arrived in London. Tottenham was 
is basically the closest club as the stone, uh, as, as sorry, as the crow flies. Um, we were at Wembley at the time, easy enough to get tickets. Um, and I just started to go every week. And yeah, I was, I was, yeah, very quickly falling in love with, with Tottenham. Um, and probably it wasn't until my first away day, uh, down in Crystal Palace where, um, some lovely guys, uh, Dom and Matt took me under their wing. They realized I was, I was going to all these games solo. Um, and yeah, sort of created some pretty amazing friendships from there. Amazing. This is nice to hear. And I was talking to a friend about this the other day about how our sort of much maligned time at Wembley actually was pretty amazing for a lot of people because it was similar to you, Davina. It was when I first got a season ticket, having been on the waiting list for years and years at White Hart Lane. And I think for a lot of people, it was the first opportunity to get to games very easily because there were tens of thousands of seats that weren't occupied each week. Um so maybe, you know, we can look back and Wembley, not actually as bad as we all thought, perhaps. Um, maybe, kind of. Um, next question. Your favourite player of all time. Davina, your favourite player, please. I feel like the easy answer for me would be to say Harry Kane, but I'd say other than Harry, it'd probably be Gareth Bale. I think he was the player which saved me from a lot of ridicule from supporting Tottenham growing up because we had a player that a lot of other teams and other fans were jealous of. You know, his hat-trick at the San Siro, his goal against West Ham, I think one of the greatest wingers of our generation. And then I even followed whatever he was doing when he moved to Madrid. When he came back here, no one was more excited than me. Like me and my brother were on flight radar tracking his plane. As soon as we announced him, <laughs> my dad, my brother and I all got matching Bale 9 shirts and we wore them around the house. And obviously it was lockdown. And my mum would just get so angry because she because we would um, increase the amount of shirts going in the whites machine. But with, there was so much <laughs> hype around Bale's return. And I'm so gutted I never got to see him um, once he did come back. So, yeah, I'd say Gareth Bale is my favourite ever Spurs player, Bob Harry Kane. I was going to say, had we asked you this two weeks ago, would it have definitely been Harry? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, it's still raw. I'm not going to yeah, pick up that scab just yet. Yeah. yeah, it's too early. Um, Sam, your favourite? I'm going to go for the easy option here then if Davina's not going to use it. Uh, yeah, I've got to take Harry. Um, just, yeah, sort of being able to watch what he did every week would just leave my jaw on the floor in the park lane. Um, just knowing that you're witnessing that level of quality and greatness and the moments that he would create out of nothing. Um, I think like throwing back to something that Billy said last week was just like, these are the kind of players that you, you sort of shell out your last 50 quid to go and see um, in the flesh. Cause it's just so incredibly special. And I think like, as we all now know, they, these moments come and go uh, pretty mm. fast and then they become memories. Oh, God, Sam, you're going to make us cry again. Please don't do that just yet. Um, we'll, we'll get deep into our cane feelings perhaps again in a minute. Um, right, this is my favourite question we ask people. Your favourite terrible player, who's that sort of cult hero that you find yourself defending or has that special place in your heart, even though everything, every intelligent sort of fibre of your being knows that you should absolutely not enjoy this footballer, Davina? Ooh, so cult player, I'd say Eric Lamella. And I don't I don't think he gets a lot of hate from our fans. I think quite a few of our fans have a soft spot for him. But from his 
guaranteed yellow cards every game, his Rabona goals. I mean, I know the one that he scored against Arsenal, we did lose that game, but getting Martial sent off and he wore my favourite number, 11. I think I have at least five Lamella 11 shirts in my wardrobe and I always got the neon five. ones. Wow. I got the, like, the yellow kit, the purple kit. I always went really rogue with it. And at the time, people were sort of, why are you wasting your money buying the Lamella shirt? And I always had faith that he would fulfil his potential. But now we can look back at the goals that he scored and they're, they're quite sort of like prolific. When you think about the school, the goals he scored against like United and Arsenal and things like that, it's, yeah, I think he's my favourite cult player. I backed him up until he, he went and I was gutted when he left. Is there a favourite terrible player of recent times that you find yourself enjoying? Ooh. I, again, I don't know if you can call him terrible, but Bergwijn? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think he's my favourite. I mean, apart from one night in Leicester, I think terrible might capture a lot of his first spell, yeah. but we can we can have that one. All right, Sam, yours? So for me, it's got to be Sissoko. Um I was, it was sort of right as I was able to go to Tottenham in the flesh uh, that, that his uh, famous redemption arc sort of kicked into full flight. Um, so it was pretty amazing to sort of arrive when, you know, people's hatred was was at its highest and then um, to go through that, that final season with him where he was charging down the right of that midfield diamond. Um, and, you know, he did the full turn, the full, the full U-turn. It was unreal. So he's he's definitely the favourite for me. We nearly won a Champions League with a midfield of Harry Winks and Musa Sissoko. Like we we need to one day we'll appreciate quite what that meant. Um okay, next question. Your match day ritual. Is there one what's the one thing on a match day that you have to do, whether it's a pub that you have to visit, whether it's an item of clothing you have to wear, whether it's someone that you always have to see before you get into the stadium? What's the one thing that you have to do before you take your seat? In, in the stadium. Davina, you're up first. Yeah, so like I said earlier, I grew up going to games with my dad and then later on my brother, but it's not always the case that we can all go to games now. Sometimes he's not in the country. My brother's off at uni, but before every game, we have like a FaceTime call. We write in the group chat, like, what do we think is going to happen today? It turns into like Monday night football. Um, <laughs> we have these conversations so we always do that. And then we all send each other like coys in the group chat with a white heart. And it's not a massive ritual, but it's something that happens before every match day and every game that we play in general. So that's always nice to look forward to. Very nice indeed. We like that one. Sam, yours? Uh, for me, it's uh, Willie's Pies. So I live in East London um, and there's a little place called Nettle Market. And yeah, these, these pies caught a little bit of traction over over lockdown the guy ended up selling his pies at Watford he's also got a little stand at uh, Nettle Market near London Fields so yeah I normally ride my bike to London Fields get myself a little pie sort of eat that really nervously then get on the train off to off to Tottenham that's a much more hipster answer but I enjoyed it nevertheless um those guys have become like massive like insta favorites those Willie's pies dudes haven't they they're all, all over it. Um, I didn't realise they were big Watford fans, though. Is that who they support? I actually don't know if they're Watford fans because I'm. I was. I was fuming. So they they got their pies in up at Elland Road for the final day of the season. Uh, yeah, last season, and I was up at Leeds for for that away day, and I was like, unreal. Uh, gonna get on one of these pies, and 
They weren't selling them in the away end. So, you know, other than ah. Kane's last Premier League game, uh, missed out on a pie. Apologies, Sam. Apologies. Um, okay, final question. It's probably my favourite one. Um, your all-time favourite Spurs shirt, Davina. Is it one of your many, many Eric Lamello 11s? You know what? It isn't. I really like the 15-16 seatbelt shirt and it got a lot of hate at the time because they were like, why are you ruining a perfectly good shirt with some random designs? But I I really, I really, really liked it. I know the season didn't end the way that we thought it would and we get a lot of ridicule for that season, but the shirt itself and the football that we played that season as well, I've got some great memories. So I think that's my probably my mm. favourite ever Spurs shirt. That's exactly the right sort of reason. That's what we want. Sam, yours? Uh, 92 to 94 away kit, the, uh, the yellow. Um, the yellow. Just the design is is unreal. Um, so I just bought it recently and got got Pasta Coglu printed on the back, obviously. Um, and you know it's, it's <laughs> so many of the the THFC flags designs. Um, it's just a work of art. Good answers, both. Good answers, both. Um, and Sam, I just want to ask you a bit about your photography because obviously it's just blowing up sort of more and more and more. I mean, last season, I feel like it was really coming to the fore. The expectation that there was online awaiting your set of photos after Saturday's game, I feel like was a very tangible, real thing. People were genuinely like, where's Sam's photos? Come on, I want to see if I can spot myself. I want to, you know, recapture that atmosphere that was in the ground that you managed to do. Tell me how you... Briefly, at least, because we could be here all night asking you about this. But how did you first start bringing your camera to the stadium? When did you first start realizing that this was becoming a bit of a thing online? Uh, so it's about two years ago now. Um, yeah, I, I had a few friends that were into photography. And um, yeah, like I said before, being on the other side of the world and growing up and not really being able to... Um, immerse myself in that culture and 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 touch it and feel it and hear it um i just really wanted to be able to document it and sort of yeah make those memories like a stamp in time um that i can hold and look at um so yeah it was it was mainly for for myself um and i didn't realize that 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 people were sort of chasing after this kind of thing as well um so obviously the, the, i've been really humbled by the reception um it's so nice to see and and hear people enjoying them and like you said spotting themselves out and um i think yeah like days like saturday were like phenomenal to be able to capture that and you know sort of mm. sons and daughters with their with their parents friends and family um yeah that's the stuff i'm i'm after just making sure I can yeah capture those special moments that we have with with friends and family. It's gorgeous, and I know everyone really appreciates how much work you put into it as well, because it's no little little amount. Um, I'm also enjoying the the sort of Sam Cornish sightings that people are now enjoying as well. Sort of seeing you hanging off sort of various stands or poles or putting yourself sort of in in basically grave danger. So please don't go and break your neck sort of trying to get some incredible snap of someone singing an offensive chant, please. Be a, be a crying shame, mate. Um, but what? <laughs> tell me, what's the most perilous position you found yourself in trying to get a decent shot? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think 
it was it was last season the Chelsea game. So there was a shot that I got from up on like level three um, over to the if you're facing the ground from outside on on the left hand side, um, and I basically I know my parents are going to listen to this and freak out, but I was stood up on on the glass uh, that was that that basically. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty enormous drop, but I just had people holding on oh my to my God. saying like don't let go of me. I just need to be high enough to capture this angle. <laughs> um, yeah, that that will be. That will, yeah, I, I'm not going to do that again. Okay, I'm good. Shot, I'm concerned because you know this 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 photography stuff's really really taken off now, mate. You don't want to end it before it's uh, it's got to where you want it to be. Please look after yourself. Um, and Davina, you've just launched um, a channel online as well. How's that going? It's going really good, really early stages, but I work in the corporate world and I felt like I really needed an outlet for my creativity. And I spend so much time already in my life talking about football, watching all the games, not just Spurs games. And my friend Ishan and I, we started a podcast and we've got really good reception so far. I mean, we film once a week. Um, we, we do like hour long episodes covering games in the Prem, transfer stuff, and then also the leagues abroad so we're doing like a round the world um like series as well as part of round the wall podcast how clever are we um but yeah it's sort of like a little passion project for us and gives us something to look forward to to like edit in the evening talk about get really excited over so enjoying that so far good stuff good stuff good to have extracurricular Mm -hmm. activity to keep you busy um Excellent. Well, like I said, we're so delighted that you'll be joining us um, across the season. Um, Ash, I'm thrilled to see you as well, mate. Sorry, we've just kept you there patiently waiting. Um, I'm going to go straight to you. Let's talk about United, um, a 2-0 thrashing second half. Um, give me your winner from the day, please. Who was your big winner from our win? Um, Maybe the fans um because we've suffered so much like over the past few years even though i'm like a conte apologist and a Mourinho fanboy but um yeah saturday just felt amazing the atmosphere was great and yeah i thought they like really got behind the team like generally like leaving i was just like buzzing so probably mm-hmm. the fans and like i have to like shout out sarah and basuma it'd be like rude not to um yeah yeah just i don't know it's hard to pick because it's kind of like everyone did well um going back to the fans stuff i know you were maybe were you a little sort of cynical perhaps a little dubious about you know whether or not you know when there was talk of like the trumpet and the drum and you know i think there were fears from certain fans maybe you know even in our text group that you know, we were in danger of it feeling a bit manufactured or a little bit inauthentic and all that kind of concern. Did you do you feel like it it came off all right? Do you feel like it worked? Um, I'm still adamantly against the trumpet, and I always <laughs> will be. Um, it's just weird. Why? I thought it like it got everyone singing, right? The atmosphere on the on kickoff was pretty unreal. It was unreal. So like maybe I'm maybe I'm just like a chief hater, but um. The drum felt good because it <laughs> felt like the old spur, like the old White Hart Lane, where that that guy seemingly just like it was a story that he like came to every game for like years but never had a ticket. I think is like the story. He just like walked in with his drum, um, which I always loved. But um, yeah, that felt like old Spurs, and I like that. So no, the atmosphere honestly was really good, and like they got like the music. I know they like, kept changing the music the last like few years, and 
I think they mm. like they actually finally got it right, which was good. Okay, all right, good. Um, Davina, Sam, I know Sam, you've been you've been quite heavily involved in the return of the shelf work and Spurs song sheet and all that all that stuff. Davina, I think you too. How, how atmosphere wise, it was just unreal, wasn't it? I mean, I think you you guys all you both sit in the south stand, right? I'm up in the west in the boring seats, but it sounded like a carnival down there. Yeah, it was was the best I've I've probably heard. I think other than for me, tragically, I missed out on the Arsenal three 0 win. I was on holiday. I'll never forget that. Um, but the yeah, the first five minutes of that Ajax semi-final was the only thing that could compare to to Saturday. Mm. Um, I was sat in in row fifty, and after about ten minutes, I just left my section to go up the back with Return of the Shelf and Spurs song sheet because the guys, what they've done up there is just so special. I think it's only going to get bigger. Um, mm. They've really done something incredible, and I think massive shout out obviously to THFC Flags. Um, the guys that have, have put together that display. Um, I was doing, uh, helping them out a little bit with just the logistics and things like that. And, and, and only until now actually being really involved with one hands-on, the amount of work that goes into making that happen on a match day is just absurd. So um, yeah, big shout out to those guys. We very much appreciate it because it was needed. And I think you're right. I think that Arsenal one's the only one that felt similar. And I think I saw someone say that that game, the atmosphere was driven by sort of tribal hatred, whereas Saturday felt like a love for the club. And it was a sort of subtly different emotion. And it did just feel joyous. Um, Davina, how was it for you? So I was actually sat six rows behind Sam. So I spotted his shirt and I took, I took a video so I was one of those who was <laughs> Sam spotting, but I completely agree that so Return of the Shelf were literally just um, a couple rows behind us in the South. And they asked for feedback on Twitter, like, how did you feel about the drum? And I was like, it was perfect. I didn't think it needed to be louder. I didn't think it needed to be quieter. Again, the way that they've been able to like mobilize the fans who want to sit there to help sort of regenerate the atmosphere and, bring back the vibe that we had at the old White Hart Lane as well. It was brilliant. And the South Sound was rocking. Again, Sam, I also missed that 3-0 because I was away in France um, doing my Masters. But the Mm -hmm. quarterfinal and the semifinal um, of our Champions League run is probably the only thing that I can liken it to. And those were such momentous occasions. This was the first home game of a season where we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we'll speak about expectations Mm. for the season later on, but to have an atmosphere like that for the beginning of the season, you know, our star striker, our captain has left the club and for the atmosphere to be that great and for the fans to be united, I think the drum and what Rihanna the Shelf have put together, as well as THFC flags, was unreal. So all credit goes to them. Um, whilst I got you, oh Sam, go on, continue, continue. I was going to say, sorry, contrary to, to Ash, I'm sorry, mate. The uh, the trumpet for me, I watched the game back uh, last night, and it like on TV, unbelievable. Like what that did, I think the noise of the first like minute before kickoff um, was insane. I'd, I'd like it to be there every week because um, if if it can do what it did on Saturday every week, we're not losing a game. <laughs> I mean, Big Ange didn't lose a game, a home game at, at Celtic. I, 
I'd see no reason why this shouldn't continue down in North London. Um, Davina, give me your winner, please, from the game. My winner from that game was Vicario. And I say that... You've stolen my winner. You've stolen my winner. I can furiously rewrite my notes quickly. Okay, go on. I say that because I was one of the... I wouldn't say Vicario doubters, but one of the Vicario unsurers. I didn't know where to stand. I was in Barcelona watching that pre-season Joan Gamper capitulation at the end. And, you know... I, oh, I like the fact I, that it bothers you that we capitulated. I mean, you did fly all the way to Barcelona, so I, I understand why you would be a bit stressed out about it. Yeah, it was, it was not the greatest end, but I, <laughs> I, I just didn't know how to judge that performance. I didn't know how to judge how he performed in the pre-season. And I think last week he was, again, like, I was so in the middle. And yesterday, I think he proved not only myself but a lot of other Vicario doubters wrong because he I think he had an unreal home debut I think you can't really ask for a much better one I like the key moments that I remember like denying Rashford in the first half um, like Casemiro in the second half around right at the end I know he was offside but he was great and I think being able to win over a lot of fans and silence your doubters that's why I'm putting him as my winner obviously I like Saar, Basuma, Madison, like all had great games. But Vicario, I think for me, was the player that I think about that game. And I'm like, yeah, you proved me wrong. So you're my winner. He, um, I watched it back very, very early this morning with uh, with my 10-month-old sort of running around. Well, not running around, just crawling around like a maniac. And um, he, he didn't do anything wrong. He literally, his kicking was solid. He came out off his line when he needed to. He commanded his box. Gary Neville was um, was being a bit mean to him and saying that he was like putting on a bit of a show for the cameras in those couple of saves he did. And I was just like, those were just, and also like, I don't mind it when keepers do that because it gets the crowd involved as well. And I think that was a real moment, that header from Casemiro that he tipped over the bar sort of acrobatically. That felt like the moment where the fans were like, oh, okay, this guy's legit. Like, we don't have to worry about David fucking Raya, like this is our guy. We can we can get behind him. Um, good choice to be in that. Sam, who's your winner? Uh, it's got to be Basuma. Uh, this guy, I think, like two weeks in a row now, it's just shown, you know, how silly Conte was. I think not to be using him. I know he had spells of injury, but he looks mustard. Like the the kind of player that we'd pay sort of triple figures in the millions for. Um, because yeah, he's he's just been phenomenal. It's been so refreshing to have a player that is actively, you know, running towards the centre backs, you know, getting the ball and then just charging with it, starting every attack. He's creative. He's he's a workhorse. Um, you know, those moments where he you put the ball through Casemiro's legs, like one of the greatest midfielders of his generation. He's making him look like a clown. Um, just phenomenal. Yeah, got to be Basuma. Um, Ash, I know you're really excited about Basuma, the reinvention. I mean, my only concern with him, right, is that he's going to he's going to go to like Afcon if he gets injured. I don't see how we replace him. He's he's sort of become our most important player overnight, really, hasn't he? Yeah, to the point where I was like checking the Afcon fixtures this morning when I woke up, um, <laughs> and like it's really weird because there's a winter break, so he he actually might not miss that many games. Just Oh, good. Oh, you've course. made my day. You've literally yeah, made no, my no, day. You're, you're you. welcome. You're welcome. Um, but I think, I can't remember where Basuma's from, but I don't 
think he's going to get to the semi-final because I don't think I don't think his country are very good. So, but I think Saar will probably get quite far, and then you've got like Son also at the Asian Cup at the same time. Um, but yeah, but, the, but think, there is a break this season. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think yeah, Basuma is like fast becoming an important player, and I hope to see like. I don't know whether him and Bentoncourt can play together. I have no idea, but I hope they can because I'd love to see that. Um, and now it feels like midfield, which felt really weak and one of the worst bits of the side now feels like one of the strongest, if not the strongest. I think it it's sort of soothing to know that we don't have to necessarily rush Bentoncourt back. And I'll, I'll pick Sar as my winner then because I feel like that was, I mean, I... I was going to say it was the day he arrived. The day he arrived was away at Milan in the San Siro when I thought he was man of the match there. And then we inexplicably basically didn't see him for the rest of the season, which still sort of scrambles my brain. But he was just, I mean, that was like almost Yaya Torre-esque in how much ground he was covering, the athleticism, the power to keep people off the ball, the way he was collecting it on the half turn and just leaving people for dead, the recovery tackles. He's a seems like a perfect Ange number eight, and you know who knows, Benton Cole might not walk straight back into the team if he keeps this up. Shouldn't get carried away. It's one home game, but just thrilling. And yeah, I feel like maybe it's not such a concern. Um, you know, the sort of lack of Ange friendly midfielders that maybe I thought we might have a little while ago. Um, okay, cool. That's our winners. Um, our losers. We can we can think sort of you know in and around the box with this stuff. Cause as Davina, I think said, or Ash, maybe like there's barely anyone to pick from the Spurs players in terms of losers. Anyone want to pick anyone though? Did anyone not exactly catch your eye? People have been talking about the front three. Is there any concerns there? Davina, anyone, anyone sort of like stressing you out at all? I can go. Um, I think it's really unfair, but Richarlison, I think he was unlucky to get subbed off. He didn't. I like how you chances. whispered that because it pains you so much to uh, it, say anything anti-Richie. It does pain me because I have faith. You know, he's Brazil's number nine for a reason. And I think we didn't play him in his position last year. He didn't really get that many opportunities, like didn't start last year. But, you know, on Saturday, like I said, he didn't get that many chances, but he always seemed like ready to pounce. And the, the reason why I don't think he deserves the like the slander that he gets is because I think he tries really hard and even in his post-match interviews and stuff it's always evident that he's he's not doing it on purpose you know what I mean like he's Mm -hmm. obviously trying he's making those runs in and it's just not happening for him but I think playing with that front three more game time maybe like playing him in like the cup fixtures that we have I know we have Fulham next week midweek he'll get there. And I think once he starts, he won't stop. So I have faith, but I think on Saturday for me, it was just a little bit of a, it's hard to pick a loser and it it hurts to pick mm. him. But if I had to pick something, it does. Maybe, yeah. It was rough. He, he touched the ball 28 times. None of them were shots and he lost possession eight times. However, I didn't feel like when he came off that I was watching like the worst performer, you know, on the pitch. I feel like, he was slowly getting into it, perhaps. Some of his sort of link-up play was improving. Some of his first-time little flicks and bringing people into play was getting there. 
he just needs one to like go in off his ass, doesn't he? And hopefully then the floodgates open. Um, Ash, who is your loser, mate? Um, this is also extremely harsh, but I'm going to pick Son. Um, <sighs> not, not Sonny. I know, Please, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I love him so much, but I don't know. I don't know if the system like really like suits him. Um, and that just like worries me. Um, Even second half, because I thought he was getting he was involved. He sort of dragged, he dragged himself into the game. I thought in a very commendable way. I yeah, obviously I am like, I'm being very harsh. I have to like pick someone, and I didn't want to pick Hoiberg because everyone hates Hoiberg, and I don't. Um, <laughs> so I'm picking Son just because I had to pick someone. Um, yeah, I have no other reason. I'm sorry, Sonny. Do you obviously this was the first time we saw him move to become the number nine once Richarlison went off? It's something we've spoken about on this podcast before, the idea that he could in time become the centre forward. Is that something you would want to see? No. Definitely not. Why not? Why uh not? because I just don't think it suits him. And I I want someone who plays up front that can like make the ball stick. And like I actually, I know, I know like Richardson didn't score and like his name isn't Harry Kane, but I actually thought that like he did all right, like holding up the ball. And yeah, I don't know. I know he's just, he's just like the latest scapegoat for me, but I think Richardson mm. does that well. And I think if we're going to play in this manner, the person up front should be able to like hold the ball and like relieve the team of pressure at points. And I don't think Son can do that. And if he can, I would love to see it and be proved wrong. Okay. Quick fire question for all three of you. Who is going to be our number nine, our main striker by Christmas? Sam, who'll be Tottenham's main striker by Christmas? Brazil's number nine. Okay. Sam's keeping the faith. Davina? I'm also keeping the faith. All right. Good. Two for two for Richie. Same. Ash? I'm going with Richie Larson as well. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get on to signings in a minute, but um, again, we're not buying anyone to dislodge him, according to our esteemed panel thus far. Um, Cool. Sam, your loser, please, mate. Uh, Mr. Bruno Fernandes and Onana and Eric Ten Hag. um, (laughs) A trio of devils. Did you see their interviews after the game? Sour, sour losers. Sour losers. Get a grip, guys. Just grow up. That's all I say. <laughs> Good to the point. Um, they were really bad, weren't they? I know like they could have scored in the first half and it might have been a totally different game had you know Fernandez put that header away or had Rashford slipped it past Vicaria. But to watch them wilt second half like that was sort of stunning, wasn't it, Davina? Yeah, and I think Sam touched on their like post-match interviews. I think another big loser are the pundits because they just refused to give Spurs their flowers of how well we played. Okay, fair enough, United didn't have their best game, but a team can be good against a bad side. And the way that they mm. were speaking, like Ricky and Gary Neville, they they just refused to give any praise to Tottenham. It was all, United did this wrong, and they did this wrong, and they did this wrong, rather than Spurs performed really well in these areas. So I think they were also big losers of Saturday. Particularly for me, because, you know, Ten Hag's had them for a year. He's won a trophy. He's had you know, a gazillion pounds to spend on whomever he wants, really. 
if you were to sort of spin someone around six times and put a blindfold on and take it off and swap the shirts around or whatever, I don't think you'd be able to have told which team had been playing under a coach for six weeks and which which one had been playing for a year. I think the fitness levels they showed would have really disturbed me if I was a United fan. The complete lack of fight that they showed once they went a goal down. Maybe something's going wrong there that we don't know. I mean, perhaps this Mason Greenwood stuff is, is obviously cast a shadow and the club just seems to be, you know, tripping over itself to fuck up each week. But something doesn't seem quite right there. And even Ten Hag sort of really chippy interviews. He doesn't seem like a coach that's particularly happy. So... Basically, I'm saying they're going to fire him in two weeks. So bad, bad luck. <laughs> I, I was talking to some United friends, and they were like, "Oh, we're just going to get Deserby. Like that's who we need to get. We need to like bin off Ten Hag." I was like, "I'm sorry. Like two months ago, he was the best. This guy was apparently the best coach in the Premier League, and the new Guardiola and ugh, just United fans for you, I suppose, isn't it? But I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm all for him getting binned off in two weeks. I've, I've really enjoyed taking on his new nickname after the FA Cup final, which is Eric 10 seconds. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. That's very good. Um, I think I'm still just a bit sore because he was like very much my pick to become uh, Jose's successor. And I just now want him to fail quite badly. Um, and I think he will. I think he's going to fail. Um, things that didn't fail... Um, Obviously, the Trust had their ticket price protest outside the ground. Um, I was there, got my badge, very proud badge wearer all through the game. Um, It was, I mean, I'm pleased it was reported widely. It seems to have been picked up by all sorts of press, which is a good thing. It seemed like people were happy to sort of stick to the message rather than turning it into a kind of anti-Levy, anti-Enoch thing, which I know there are sort of split views on whether or not that's a good or a bad thing. How did everyone feel like it went? And also, I think more pressingly, what happens now? Because obviously this is the first sort of part of us coming together to unite around a single issue, which I think, you know, is, is a universal um, a universal issue that we can all rally around. Um, Davina, what do you think should happen next? What should the trust do? It's quite a big question to put you on the spot with, but go on. This is our testing questions for our first time guests. I think it's, again, more about we're raising awareness because, they're like you said, it's being picked up by bigger news outlets, also by other clubs, supporters, trusts. So one thing in particular, I know quite a few like West Ham season ticket holders, and they've even been speaking about the fact that we were able to you know, mobilise a lot of fans to come outside the stadium and not make it uh, anti, anti-owners protest, more of stop exploiting loyalty, I know I'm quite fortunate that I have a season ticket and that price is frozen. Um, but, you know, if you were to go off, go to the one-off game, one some of my fondest memories are, are of me as a child going to games. And if we're pricing out, like, the younger generations, we're pricing out anyone whatsoever. I know people were using, actually, Sam's images to sort of say, if you price out your fans, where is atmosphere going to come from? So to answer your question, I think just to raise more awareness to gain more traction in the media. And once it becomes a bigger thing, not just for our club, but for clubs everywhere, because we're not the only club experiencing stupidly high season, like prices game after game, um, something will happen. So I'm not sure what else to do apart from like do the protest, raise it with the supporters trusts and just get, get the message out there, but continue what we're doing. 
Mm. Ash, I feel like you're probably one that would ramp it right up, right? I know your feelings towards Enoch probably haven't changed too much since we last spoke. No, they're not going to change until they leave. Um, but I, I, I was there at the protest as well, and I was kind of, and maybe I was there at the wrong point, but I was like disappointed by like the turnout. It felt like small to me. And I think like ticket prices is such a universal issue that even if you're mm. in, you can probably get behind because the prices are like outrageously high. And like to Davina's point, I think like if you continue to price people out, there is like, like you said, there is no atmosphere. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that like our fan base in general is a little bit placid, just like on the Enoch issue, on like the ticket issue. Whereas even on the game on Saturday, like there were a lot of, I sat like just above the United fans, there were a lot of like glaze out chants throughout the game. Um, so I don't think anything's going to change until like the fan base are like more united. And I don't think that's going to happen right now because there's a lot of positivity and rightly so around mm. like the new manager and like this new era that's that's happening. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a curious time, isn't it? And I feel like in a way the club have got extraordinarily lucky with Ange because he's acting as both a sort of lightning rod for positivity and also a bit of a human shield in press conferences and that he's such a personable, kind of warm, open, very frank guy and also very like pragmatic and realistic and, you know, sort of anti-Conte in terms of his demand seemingly um, that they've just got very fortunate. And I feel like I was talking to a few people in the pub before um, I sort of dipped out of the corner pin to go to the protest and uh, I think, A, it reminded me that, like, sort of Twitter is an echo chamber and that I was talking to a lot of people and they didn't even know about it. And I think, obviously, you know, we're among a very kind of online <laughs> group of supporters and that just simply isn't the case for a lot of sort of match-going Spurs fans. So figuring out how to sort of get through to those guys is probably something that needs to be, um, that needs to be looked at. And also, yeah, people were just like, oh, well, you know, things are good, like, I don't want to like be all negative before sort of going in the stadium and, you know, cheering on the team first game of the season. Like, why would I want to do that? Sam, it's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I th it's just hard to know what, what the tipping point is going to be for our fan base. I think I agree with Ash that I was sort of expecting the high road to be absolutely full. Um, I know me personally that it's, it's hit me hard. I, I paid 260 quid for the first three games. Um, oh my God, Jesus Christ. I've, I've gone to one of them and then the next three were released today. Um, so yeah, you know, we're talking 500 quid in a month or something and I've only been able to go to one of those games to actually get my money worth. Um, so it's it's really hard and it does make me sad that, that you know, people uh, with, with families and kids aren't, aren't able to live it like like we do i'm just lucky that I'm, I'm one person buying one ticket and i'm not trying to bring my son or my daughter or um yeah go with my with my dad or my mom um so yeah it makes me sad i think they're estimating that the the season ticket prices will go up next season 11 percent. so i feel like that will be the real catalyst for for some change because i think for a lot of people it hasn't hit them just yet but but maybe next season unfortunately Sort of continuing the theme a little, um, you know, it is a curious time because we have 
as we've touched upon, we've lost Harry Kane, you know, barely, a, it wasn't even, a, was it a week ago? I've lost like all track of time as to however long ago it was now, but, our, you know, our king is dead. Um, we haven't bought a single player since that point. Um, and yet, I don't think I can remember, you know, a vibe as sort of intoxicating as it was in the stadium on Saturday. I talked to Spurs friends and they're just like giddy at the moment, watching us play this you know, attractive brand of football. You know, we're loving all the the signings we have made. And yet, you know, we might sort of end up almost like breaking even for if you sort of remove the the Poro and Kulisevsky fees, which I feel like, you know, conveniently getting bolted on to our, our spend. I know obviously, you know, that money is a real thing, but it is kind of mad, right? Davina, what are your hopes going into the next sort of 10 days? Do you feel like we're going to, be left short do you feel like actually if it wasn't for Ange and it wasn't for the attractive football we would all be slightly more pissed off and you know agitating for much much more to come in 100% I think as you rightly said Ange is being used as, as a human shield and I think the biggest example of that was when he did the press conference the Friday the day before that we got the official news that Harry Kane had left and he answered the question, you know, we're planning for the future without Harry, the transfer Mm. is imminent. He answered that question brilliantly. And I don't know any other manager which could have done the same. I feel like if we think back, if someone had asked that question to Conte, he would have flipped, like he would have had a tantrum, like throwing his toys out of the pram. And I think the, the good vibes that Ange has brought to this club is papering over a lot of cracks We've not had any real transfer news in the last week. Like transfer football Twitter accounts have not really reported anything substantial. Like we're interested in or we've shown appreciation. If anything, it seems for- to be dying down. Like I, I was reading something that old Romano was apparently saying today where it was, it definitely seems to have sort of gone down a notch where it's now like, well, Spurs will, will you know, A, it's obviously dependent on us being able to actually move one of these many, many players that we need to get out the door. And also it's sort of reverted back to that very familiar language that, oh, it has to be the right player. You know, Spurs aren't just going to pull the trigger on anyone. You know, it's like 60 million. They like Jonathan David, but 60 million is a lot of money. So they can't possibly do that. And we just, um, I'm just like, oh, we're just doing that old being gaslit thing again, where, you know, apparently we have zero cash and, we're actually completely fine. Why are we complaining? The squad's fine. And it just feels like the same timeline every transfer window. And I don't want to, you know, sort of kill the mood or anything, but I feel like we need to get on top of this. This is an opportunity, right? Like this is clearly, we have lucked out with this coach. We have a system that the players are buying into. The crowd are happy for that system and that manager to paper over the cracks, as you say, Davina. We need to, we need to get behind him, right? What Davina, what would you like to see happen sort of realistically in the next in the next 10 days before the window shuts? What do you think needs to happen? I think firstly, what we need to do is clear out some of our squad because the amount of players in our squad who are not going to see minutes in any competition is a joke. You know, we need to cut our losses on some players. If Ndombele is not in Ange's plans, sell him. If there is interest from abroad, if if it is the policy right now that we need to sell to buy, which it seems like it is every transfer window, then we need to get some players going. How many players have we sold? Three in this in this transfer window. One of them was our star player. 
So, I mean, it's, we've, I don't think we've had an amazing transfer window. I think, again, we've lucked out with the players that we have got. I mean, like Solomon on a free had a brilliant cameo on Saturday, great preseason. Like, we've lucked out with the transfers and they have seemed to have worked so far in the short term. But I think we're a couple of injuries away from the negative atmosphere returning back back to Tottenham. Mm. And I think, you know, the areas where I think we need to improve, I still think we need another centre-back. I think we need, I won't say replacement for Richie, but backup for him. I do think we need a striker. Um, maybe an attacking midfielder, but definitely a rapid winger. I think centre-back, striker and winger, those are the three positions I think we need. Maybe a cam mm. if we... If we you know, if Madison's gone, what do we do? Is Lizelso the right replacement? Maybe we'll talk about that yeah. later. But I think, you know, we have the cup still to come. We have, I don't, we're playing a, a less congested fixture sort of schedule, but one or two injuries and we could have like chaos. So mm. let's prepare for that and make some signings in these last two weeks. Asha. I feel like Davina is very much singing from your hymn sheet. I know you're sort of cautiously excited, but we're standing on the precipice injury-wise of being in exactly the same situation. I know that you know, we were talking before we started tonight, you know, the idea that they identify players like this, this Jonathan David guy, but then it's immediately dismissed as too expensive. It just feels maddening, right? Yeah, I think your point earlier about the timeline of the transfer windows being the same is like so true. And like, I think we were texting earlier about the David fee and like asking where the money goes and just going back to the ticket price thing, they increased the ticket price, which made a huge difference to like us as season ticket holders and members. And like, it doesn't really make that much to, to the club. And I'm like, where does this money go that they like, Apparently Enoch withdrew like what was it 150 million? Uh, was it last summer? I, I believe, mm. and 100 million was spent. Where's the other 50? Where is like the cane money going? It's like it's odd to me that we've sold like such an iconic player, an important player for like that amount of money, and it's pure profit because he's from the academy, and we're not going to like go big. And I wouldn't really mind if like this had worked in the past, but like Enoch's like way of attacking transfer windows never seems to work because we don't win anything so we should actually just try and do it differently and perhaps we might win something <laughs> um so yeah we need to strengthen the squad like desperately and i know like davina's point is correct like yeah there are a bunch of players that like have to leave because they're not going to play and obviously mm -hmm. that makes it difficult for the manager so yeah we've let we've we're left with like a lot to do and i think like what is it two weeks to go I, I think something like that. It's not even that. It's like 10 days, isn't it? It's it's really not long at all now. Um, Sam, talk to me. Tell me, did you in your wildest dreams imagine we would sell Harry Kane? And because, right, in my mind, I was like, the delay around the Kane deal was that they would have some dominoes to sort of set up and as they would pull the trigger on the Kane thing and then almost immediately you would see one or two come in to sort of placate the fans to, you know, reassure us that they are ambitious, that there's a plan in place. I'm not going crazy, right? It's kind of like fucking insane that we're still here like 10 days later and there's no one come through the door. 
Yeah, I I thought that I was going to be seeing uh, Tapsova walk out on Saturday. Um, I thought Gift or Van that that be a done deal, um, and then yeah, we'd we'd be rocking, ready to go. Um, just feels like it's going to go down to the last day again. Just one, mm. yeah, just for once, just slap the money down, um, you know, and 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 you know, give the fans a bit of optimism that you know it's not all horrible with how it's being run upstairs um yeah I, we need to do more we need to improve i'm just going to echo what what ash and davina have already said um but well, yeah apparently we are willing to spend seemingly between 40 and 50 million on brennan johnson which is the most kind of spurs logic and i i think johnson's actually a half decent player but the idea that we would sort of push the boat out for you know someone that I think he's probably got the ceiling of being pretty good, but definitely not world class. I mean, I, I don't know. And Ash and I are massive forest apologists, having both gone to university in Nottingham, but he is kind of fine, but he's not amazing. Like, am I missing something here? Has anyone watched Davini? I reckon you watched probably the most football out of all of us. Brennan Johnson, is he worth the money? So the fee that he's going for is like 40, 50 million. And I think... I'm all for spending money, but that seems excessive. Considering, <laughs> no, I think I I don't think for 40, 50 million he's worth that price. I know you can play as a striker or a winger, so we can cover like two birds with one stone. But I think we can spend our money better elsewhere. He's mm-hmm. he's good, but he's not worth fifty million. No. So no from you. I think there was a re- there was a reason that Brentford were the team that had been sort of courting him for most of the summer and no one else. Um, let's look a little ahead um, now. Obviously, Bournemouth on the weekend. Um, we're all excited to see Ange Ball in action again. Um, we travelled down to Bournemouth, where of course we won three two last season in very dramatic circumstances. Um, Bournemouth drew one all with West Ham opening day. They went down 3-1 to 10-man Liverpool on the weekend, despite having gone a goal up. Um, people seem very hot on their coach. And Donny um, Ireola, I think I've pronounced that completely incorrectly, but whatever. Um, he apparently did very good things at Hipster's Choice, Rayo Vallecano, over the last three seasons. Um, I think the one good thing is that Alex Scott, who of course we seem like we were linked with for about 14 years, has got a serious knee injury, so cannot play and score the winner on the weekend. Um, that's about my Bournemouth knowledge covered. Um, now, if you'd have asked me what the score was before this um, sort of harrowing news around James Madison's foot sort of started coming out of uh, the stadium at the end of Saturday night, I'd have said that we'd just turn up and win two, three, four, nil. What do we do without Madison guys? Like how, like this is bad, right? I mean, we're talking about, you know, one injury and this team, you know, potentially not being what we have watched in the last couple of games. I don't know that there's a player that's probably maybe Basuma aside that's more important to how we play and play at a high level than Madison. Um, Sam, are you stressed? I'm not too stressed to be honest. Um, oh, good. Okay. Calm me down, mate. Calm me down. Call me crazy, but I think, uh, yeah, I think when the team news came out on Saturday, I was I was a little bit surprised because I was like impressed with the performance at Brentford. Um, like taking Emerson out the squad felt pretty huge for me. Um, and Poro came in, did did an exceptional job. 
Um, Skip probably copped a little bit of heat for for his performance at, at Brentford, but again, I don't think he was too bad. Um, obviously, Saar came in, made a huge difference. The guys coming off the bench on on Saturday as well played played unreal. I think Davies did well when he came on. Um, obviously, world class finish from him. Uh, Rawley denied this goal. When when I see own goals like that, I'm like, can't there just be an understanding where like if you're the defender, you don't want to be given the own goal, right? Can can they not? Can the guy that might be given the own goal just turn around and go? It's okay if he has it. It's fine. Like I'm all right with that being a Ben Davies goal and it just be settled that way. I don't see why they have to be like so mean and pointlessly mean at that. Like it's fine if it's a Ben Davies goal. Come on, just do that instead. These stupid anyway. rules that they're trying to come up with yeah. uh, football just make that one <laughs> change. I agree. Um, yeah, I, look, I honestly think there's enough. Um, I know we've just who would you have coming in, Lacelso? Do you think? I mean, we've not seen Lacelso play in the league yet. Do you think he would be as bold as to just pop Geo straight in? I mean, he does seem like the most natural, stylistic replacement. However, does Skip come in? Does Hoybier come in? Does Kulisevsky come inside, perhaps, as the sort of creative number eight? And you see Solomon come in or Paris? Or, I don't know. What what would we all do? This is my main question. Sam, on the spot, who comes in? I'm going to speak for Rosa. I'm going to say Kulisevsky comes inside. Solomon goes out in the wing. Okay. So Rose's anything but geo um, mindset is replaced. Okay, good. Ash, who who would you pick to replace Madison? Obviously, also we must say, like we're speaking on Monday night. Fingers crossed that you know we wake up and he's just had a bit of a bad bruise and he's totally fine. However, it does you know this being Tottenham and this being our medical team, probably looking at about fifteen weeks. Ash, who would you have come in, mate? Uh, geo, although I. I- I'm also just like worried that I wake up on like Thursday and we've like sold him to like, I don't know, Real Betis or something. That like deeply yeah. concerns me. Me too. It feels like that's not quite gone away yet, that Geo back to Spain chat, has it? Okay, we've got one for Geo. Davina? I would also play Geo, but I'm not worried about him going. I want to see him in action within this team that we have and to see whether he's worth actually keeping as like a backup as a mm. squad player again I mean we have the cup competitions coming up see if he can be that alternative because you know even if Madison is fit we can't run him to the ground playing 90 minutes every single game that we have however important mm. he is we do need to have um people who can come and slot in and replace him but I want to see what he can do because over the last four years of what he's what, since he's been here he's one of those players I can't really pick out whether are you a, are you a good fit for the players around you are you good sometimes good sometimes maybe shit you know but um I just I need to see him within this team within the, like with our front three in front of him and if he's not good get him put him in the bin sell him to Spain sell him to someone in Spain <laughs> but I think we need to play him in a game no disrespect yeah. to Bournemouth but it, against an opposition like Bournemouth to see what he can do Mm. to see if he has improved since his loan spells or whatever, and then make to make that decision. And if not, yeah. we sign a central attacking midfielder. It's a very good point. And it's one that Ange basically made when asked about um, why he had put Poro and Sar in on the weekend. I think he said something like, you know, I need to see what these guys can do. Like there's, you know, they've trained really well all week, but there's no substitute for actually putting them in at this level. And you would like to think he's got a Lo Celso sort of question that he's answering. Um, 
I hope so too. And what what a story, by the way, if Lacelso does actually. I mean, he's been gone for like feels like about a decade. It's it's ridiculous. Like the guy just. It was like COVID when he was last here. It's it's been forever. It also means I might be able to. I very foolishly got uh, La Celso eighteen on the back of um that gorgeous light blue third shirt with the proper old school Nike logo. Um, and that's just been like back of the wardrobe for years because I I don't want to get laughed at more than I normally normally do. Just wearing a La Celso shirt down the high road, you can't do that. However, it might be back. Like that and my Perisic shirt from last season, they might be back. I had no idea that these two guys were going to um, going to be restored, but here we are. Miracles can happen under Big Ange. Um, give me your predictions for the weekend, guys. Um, Sam, you first. What's the score going to be, my friend? Uh, back on that Ange train, 3-1 win. Let's go. Okay, nice one. Confident stuff, punchy. Um, Ash, your score? I'm going to say 2-0 again. Another clean sheet for our boy Vic. We like to hear that. Davina? I'm going 2-1. Edgier, edgier. Um, okay, I'm going to say 3-2. I said 3-2 last time. I just feel like this is going to be a bit of a roller coaster. Um, but Richie is going to score. That's my main prediction. Richarlison is going to score this weekend. Um there's going to be a lot happening in the next week or so. I feel like it's going to be a very interesting time before the transfer window shuts. Um, it's not just the men that are making signings right now. I suppose women are making signings. We're doing contracts extensions. My girl Shalina finally signed a new contract. I did not name our tortoise after her in vain. Thank God that Shalina will be here for another season at least. Um, and obviously we had the World Cup final out in Australia over the weekend. Um a real pity that we didn't manage to get over the line. But I think hopefully this means that Spurs women can expect a little more support. I really hope that the energy that we've all showed for this World Cup can translate into club football because that seems to be where things fall down, right? I mean, we went a few times last season as a family, really enjoyed it, but it was quite striking just how few people were actually at Brisbane Road. Um, I know, you know, I was there for the double header after the Brentford, wasn't it? For the sort of must win relegation game last season. And, you know, barely anyone stayed. And I know we'd had a miserable sort of men's game first, but hopefully something changes now going forward for Spurs women. Cause it feels like we've hit a point, but in order for things to really kick on, people are simply going to have to show up. Um, Davina, how, how are you feeling about the women's team? I've consciously made an effort to go to the women's team um, to watch Spurs women play before. They used to play at the Hive, which was so local for me. Um, I went to their first Women's Super League game when they beat Liverpool 1-0. Took the whole family, loved that. And then when they played um, Arsenal, again, at the the Tottenham Stadium, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, um, we lost 4-2. But when I can like sort of conjure everyone to, to get to the Spurs stadium and watch us play... I think we all need to make an effort to carry on the energy and the support that the Lioness has had at the World Cup Mm -hmm. and follow it on to club football because during this Women's World Cup, I was comparing it to the last World Cup where not really many people even knew the Women's World Cup was happening. And people who are even like casual football fans have kept their eye on like the Women's World Cup. And the most noticeable change I saw was at the gym. 
So they have the games on um, in the background and people stopping their workouts to to watch not even just England play, but other games as well, other semifinals, other quarterfinals. And that was really nice to watch because the women's game doesn't get enough credit as it as it should. And I think with the new season starting in September, it'd be really cool to see more fans down at Brisbane Road and mm. encourage um, just, I think also women's football is becoming more like a a family friendly atmosphere. I think more children go to it and I've seen younger girls. I mean, I was into football, but I didn't often see other girls who used to watch as much football as I did. And I see younger girls now not only watch men's, but women's Mm -hmm. football and follow it really closely, which is really inspiring. And I love that the Lionesses have been able to have that impact. So like you said, hopefully we can see some more support down for Spurs women's team. Um, Sam, can we expect you and your camera down there this season? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I've absolutely loved the World Cup. Just gone, obviously, Australian English uh, boy. Like uh, that semi final was was one of the most torn I've been. Uh, yeah, the, the most torn I've ever been in a, in a football game before. It was really weird, like celebrating goals at both ends. Um, I yeah, I guess it, it, it caused a lot of reflection within myself. Um, I think. I I was I was thinking that you know if I if I had a daughter, um, have I done enough, uh, sort of to make our sport her sport? I think the honest answer now is is no. So what am I going to do about that? Is yeah, I'm I'm going to get down to the games. I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to push it. I'm going to be active on the socials about it. I'm going to bring my friends down. Mm. Um, I just want to make sure that you know, the, the women's team is, is getting the platform that it deserves. You know, we, we can't expect, um, we can't expect it to grow if we're not doing anything about it. I think this is the thing, isn't it? Like, you know, the investment levels could improve, um, the communication and PR and, you know, the social media presence could definitely, you know, Spurs could put more into that for sure. But ultimately it involves us going to matches and, you know, I've got a soon-to-be five-year-old daughter. She's just about sort of getting into it now. And, you know, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to take her to Spurs women. And as Davina says, you know, it's a more family-friendly atmosphere. There are she I, I took her to the Shakhtar game and, um, you know, that was fine, but it was a friendly. And although the atmosphere on the weekend was, you know, pretty thrilling and it was very, you know, it was a happy atmosphere and people were excited it's still, you know, an incredibly intimidating atmosphere for children in many, many ways. So I think, you know, Spurs should be pushing the family angle more around sort of the women's team. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, they could literally be like, if you can't afford to take them to the men's football, <laughs> it's like, we've got a cheaper alternative for you if they're really being completely callous. But um, yeah, I definitely too, Sam, I feel like, you know, I have a daughter, I want her to love football like I do, but I also want her to know that there's a choice and she doesn't have to just follow the men's team simply because that's what her dad has always done and that there is an alternative and that's a completely viable thing. So yeah, we all need to do a bit more, I think, in terms of actually turning up. Um, but fingers crossed, yeah. Just a, a cool point on on that. Um, just seeing sellout crowds in Australia for all of those games mm. is phenomenal, you know. Um, I don't know how much coverage it got over here but uh, they absolutely smashed the the TV ratings and viewings in in, in Australia. 
um, more than any of the the massive men's sporting events that happen throughout the year. You know, rugby league's enormous in Australia, and it, it just blew it out the water. Um, everybody was watching. Um, so I hope that you know what what was felt over here for the Euros with with that success is is able to to translate into Australia as well. And mm. yeah, we're, we're like at the beginning of something really, really special, but we need to take that momentum into, into the club football as well. Um, Davina, do you feel like the sort of double headers the club do, would you have them play more games at White Hart Lane? Do you feel like keeping them separate is a good thing? Cause the sort of smaller stadiums, you get potentially a better atmosphere cause you've not got, tens of thousands of empty seats. What What's the right way, do you think, to try and get people a bit more engaged? Is it by having them in the stadium more or keeping it to two different stadiums? I think with the double headers, it can be tricky because like the double header that we had after the Brentford game, that wasn't a great game. So a lot of people left afterwards because it was sort of like a dampening first thing. They were like, we just want to get home. What I really liked was when the stadium was first built, a lot of people who hadn't like originally been able to go to the men's games were able to go. That's the first time I took my mum to the Spurs stadium was to talk mm. to Arsenal. And she, like she was wowed by that. So I think what they need to do is push out to the, uh, I, push out to the members of Tottenham and be like, you know, it's during half term or this is at the weekend at a really great time, come to the Spurs ground. It, put on sort of more family-friendly events outside mm. the stadium because I remember they used to do that a lot at our old ground, at White Hart Lane, when it was half-term games or around like Halloween, they used to say, like, come and dress up and bring your kids and we'll have like face paint and stuff like that outside of the ground. And I think that would push like sort of parents who go and watch the men's team to bring their kids along to go and watch the women's team at this fancy new ground that we've built billion pound stadium to experience sort of what it's like to go to a game at the ground and we can build up a fan base like that mm. i'm not saying every game but the ones that do sort of work out timings wise that you can have it at, at our big ground then that would be really cool because mm. it might be some kids first opportunity of going to the stadium and they'll they might say like, oh, dad, mom, like, let's go to the next game. When's the next game? And that's how you build a really young fan base. So that's what I think they should do. I mean, people made fun of the whole Turtles thing um, around the Shakhtar game, but my daughter is obsessed with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And for her, the idea of like Turtles wearing Spurs shirts and she could meet them and have photos with them and high five them. And she wore her Turtles costume with a Spurs kit over the top, like, that was a you know an ultimate crossover event and she absolutely had a 10 times better time just because there was something interactive for her to do that i think is to your point Davina, it's it's exactly what you know it might not be like what hardcore fans want to see like teenage mutant ninja turtles running around the south stand but you know we do need to think about the next generation of fans and we do want it to be an inclusive family friendly atmosphere you know particularly now that we have you, know, you can have the return of the shelf stuff running concurrently with sort of initiatives to get families involved. I think that, you know, you don't have to sort of just have one or the other. I think another really sort of like obvious and sort of like bribey way to get people to go is to like include it as a, like a loyalty points mm. um, scheme, because 
like people used to turn up for the most random games ever to like get their like four points and i think yeah. like, big up big up the like uefa cup yeah. games against Zimbrew, the qualifiers that you'd go yeah. to just to get your loyalty points and, for sure and i know like obviously like maybe it's not the correct reason um or the primary reason but i think like you just need to get people in there i, I see like so many people on my sort of social media feeds who are like friends who are all at the Arsenal women's games mm. and they seem to be sold out every time. And like the Spurs women's games are nowhere near that. So I think maybe a mix of like what was said previously and then like the bit of bribery as well. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with a bit of old fashioned bribery. Um, good stuff. All right, guys, I want your culture picks now to wrap us up. Um, Davina and Sam, this is your first um, hometown glory appearance. Um, you'll know that we don't just do football here, of course. We also do culture. And we want to know, what have you been enjoying? Watching, listening, viewing, reading? What's been rocking your world this week? Um, Sam, you first, mate. Uh, I feel like I could jump on another whole podcast and talk about the bear. Um, obviously, being someone that works in the hospitality industry, uh, it's it's hit home hard. Uh, it caused me to have basically a mental breakdown at work over the last <laughs> few weeks. Um, particularly that Christmas episode really sent me. Um, but I know you guys talked about it a lot uh, last week. And well, we're, we're basically waiting for Billy to finish. I think that's where we're at. We need okay. to sort of have a collective sort of spoilerific big chat about um, season two. So you have to come back when we're all, we're all ready to dive into season two. I'll I'll let let Billy talk uh, on that one. So I think my my culture pick of the week um, is going to be how to with John Wilson. I don't know if anyone's watching that. Um, I just think it's, it's some of the best TV I've ever watched. I know it sounds really silly and it's like quite often a hard show to uh, recommend. Tell tell, Sam, tell people about it if they might not know anything about the show. It's 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 quite strange, and it, it's it's basically uh, John uh, is is the star, but he's behind the camera. That's what makes it, um, I guess, really interesting for me as well as someone that, that takes a lot of pictures. But um, yeah, he just walks around New York uh, all day with this camera, just filming the weirdest, most wonderful moments, uh, strangest moments. He he chats with people on the street. So it's you. In, so it's you, but in New York, basically, it's sort of substitute yeah, the high road for Fifth Avenue. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically that. And yeah, he's just creating. Like, I, I just think the the amount of footage that he must have, um, and how he sorts through it. Like, I don't think he shares his secrets too much on on that, but it must take him just an absolute age to to get it together. And he obviously narrates over the top of it, which what is what makes it so special. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. So the new series just released uh, last week or week before. Where can uh, you watch them? It is it's on HBO, so that makes it actually I'm not too sure what it's what platform you put on the spot there. Um, just have oh, a probably look. Probably a, a Skyland too, yeah. yeah, just like a Skyland yeah. too. Very nice. Um, Ash, give me yours, mate. Um, I've become really obsessed with this one song like the past <laughs> week um, called "Witching Out," which I put in our group by this guy called Nat Home, who I know nothing about. Um, but it's just a weird techno record. So I've become obsessed with that. Um I've also been watching The Bear um and Only Murders in the Building season three. Have you stuck with it? I've kind of I've slightly lost interest. Should I stick with it? Mm, season two is a bit 
but apparently season three is the best one ever. Is season three the one with Meryl? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's good so far, but it's like two okay. episodes in. Okay. Um, and are you, I can't remember your view, you're like season two of The Bear is like greatest of all time levels, right? Or I sort of got stuck in the middle where I was like, uh, I'm not that bothered for a bit. And then I got past it and I thought it was like incredible and better than mm. season one. Yeah. It does, yeah, explodes into life, doesn't it? Sort of around episode five. Um, all right, nice one. Thanks, mate. Davina, your first ever hometown glory culture picks. What you got for us? So I I started the bear thanks to this podcast. I didn't even none of my friends have watched it, and I was heathens. You need I new friends, mate. Consider I consider myself influenced by hometown glory. So <laughs> um, yeah, again, I I thought it was a bit of a slow start, and then I'm now on episode starting episode five so maybe i'm just in the phase where i'm going to become obsessed of season one yes okay oh you've got you've got a lot of fun to come then okay so i'm excited but my culture pick comes with the theme of south asian heritage month um august is south asian heritage month so not only with work but just within my friends and stuff we've been having some really cool conversations about what it means i think this month in 2023 i think it's got a lot of traction and publicity as well so very happy about that um spurs reach actually put out a section in the program i'm in contact with them so that was really nice to see but i've got a book and i've got a film so Mm -hmm. the book is called partition voices so i actually come from the northwest of india that's where my family is originally from and it's not too far away from the pakistan india border so it's sort of like an, an army city. We can see sort of like tanks and stuff coming through. And um, 1947, the partition and the author, um, Kavita Puri, she looks into sort of like the friendships and testimonies and relationships that were broken based on the partition and how it's shaped modern Britain, how modern Britain has shaped sort of the identities of the people who lived in the areas around where the partition actually happened because you know when britain drew that line between india and pakistan it wasn't really sort of well thought about and at the time there was a lot of violence and between people who were supposed to go to pakistan and to india so that book i'm i think 20 pages away from the end and i've heard that the end is really really sad so looking forward to that and i've also got a film so mm-hmm. it's called rrr and last time i checked it's on netflix it's originally in Telugu, but you can watch it dubbed in Hindi. You can watch it dubbed in English as well. And there's a song from there called Natu Natu. And that actually won Best Original Song at the Oscars at the beginning of the year. So I definitely recommend that. It's like critically acclaimed. What's it about? Um, it's basically about um, someone who joins the revolution against the British and an officer. And they sort of become friends. And it's their, about their journey, um, about a country which is basically being torn in two so definitely recommend that it's a fairly long watch so maybe split it into like three hour segmented um episodes but honestly definitely recommend that i i'm not a massive fan of a lot of partition films because i think that sometimes when bollywood make them they're very much sort of India are the best and they don't mm. really focus on Pakistan. They don't really portray it accurately. But this was a South Indian film um, away from sort of the Bollywood hype. And I really liked how they how they portrayed it. I think it was really fair. I think it was quite accurate. 
um i've studied a lot about the partition as well so yeah recommend that in light of south asian heritage month that film's great i've seen it it's really it is good. isn't it yeah, yeah. Thank you for such thoughtful picks. We love a theme as well. So uh, appreciate you putting so much thought and effort into those picks to be in it. Thank you much. And yours, excellent too, Sam. Um, Ash, of course, I always just basically add whatever you recommend to my playlist. So you know that I love you and your picks. Um, quick from me, um, I'm into the new gigs album. Ash, I haven't spoken to you about Zero Tolerance. Are we liking it? I haven't listened to it yet. I'm ashamed to say. I need to. I haven't even added it. I've been like oh really sad. Sorry, it has like come under the radar quite spectacularly, considering like his status as sort of you know untouchable hero kind of levels, and then this has just kind of slunk out without much fanfare or press or anything. But it's pretty good. I'm keen to talk to you about it. So next week, can you listen to it, please? Um, there's a Chemical Brothers mix that just just released just on Apple Music. Um, without being too biased about my employers, um. It's uh, a live recording from The Social from 1996 and it is just incredible. And it's not been ever released on streaming before and it just is like a real kind of heart-thumping, face-melting, kind of big beat meets acid jazz meets like hip-hop meets everything that was incredible at that time. And just you can feel the energy in that really sweaty room. Um that's really good um and i just started reading the fraud by zodie smith which is out early september um which is her first foray into historical fiction it's about a 19th century trial um in victorian victorian england and it's really great i've only read about half of it but um it's i mean everything she writes is pretty fantastic but this is uh this is super interesting so i will report back there once i've actually finished um and Davina you can report back on your book once you know how sad it actually is as well are you doing that thing by the way when you know a book is like super sad and you just basically are too scared to get to the end yeah it's like in Friends when like Joey puts the book in the freezer because he doesn't want to get <laughs> he's too scared of the ending um I've been avoiding it until sort of a time where I can fully concentrate on on the really sad ending you're emotionally stable enough to really process mm -hmm. it um, my kind of like big baby thing similar to that is that I can only really watch horror films if I know exactly what's going to happen. So I'll go to like Wikipedia and read the plot so that <laughs> I'll just be like, it's okay. It's going to be fine. I know what happens. I can survive this terror. It's going to be okay, Charlie. You can do this. Um, I'm 40 years old. I need to get a fucking grip. This is pathetic. Um Anyway, what's not been pathetic is this conversation. I hope I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to all three of you. Ash, it's a pleasure as always, my friend. Love chatting. Um, and Sam and Davina, thank you so much. Your first appearance, um, about as successful as any of, any of our Spurs debutants in the last couple of weeks, I'd say. A real pleasure. And we are delighted to have you on board and we look forward to welcoming you back very, very soon. Um, thank you guys so much for your time. And thank you all for listening. This has been Hometown Glory, episode four, season three. Come new Spurs. Mm -hmm.